Well, in Romans chapter 10, Paul is dealing with an urgent issue. I think about how many urgent issues you face in your life. A lot of things may feel urgent that really aren't that urgent. In fact, I, I read a news article this morning about a soccer player, a professional soccer player, who had a very urgent decision to make. You see, he had just been signed by another club in Sweden, and the club in Sweden called him to report on the day that he had his wedding plan in Sierra Leone. And so he had an urgent decision to make to either go to the wedding in Sierra Leone or go and show up for the unveiling at his new club in Sweden. And all of our husbands, our soon-to-be husbands this morning, take this as a lesson of folly. He made the wrong choice. What seemed like the urgent priority in his mind was to go to Sweden, and he sent, get this, his brother as his stand-in to be the groom in Sierra Leone. Not a good way to start off your marriage. How often do things seem urgent and seem to take an urgent priority in our lives? And we can look at that and shake our heads. But if we think about the priorities of the Bible and the wrong priorities that you and I far too often put at the forefront, things that really don't matter, that will be temporary, how often do we fall into that same folly? That our eyes get caught up in temporary, momentary pleasure. Our minds are caught up in our own busy lives. Nothing wrong with busyness. And this is a really busy time of year coming up for many of us, right? It's like summer's over already. August is here. Goodness, school is starting back. Lots of things going on in our mind. Lots of responsibilities to attend to. And we need God's Word. And we need one another. That together we might lock arms and be focused on what is most urgent. And so we turn to God's wisdom found in the pages of the Bible to have our minds renewed to focus on what is urgent. Romans chapter 10, Paul is dealing with a supremely urgent issue. He's dealing with the holy judgment of God's wrath that awaits sinners. It is sure to come. God is a judge. He is right to judge us for our sin. That day, for sure, is coming. And the Apostle Paul points to the, the good news in Romans 10. Because there's only one way to be saved from that coming judgment. Because there's only one way to be forgiven of your sins. There's only one way to come and be brought near to God and reconciled with the God who created you because there's only one way to be saved, to trust in Jesus Christ and in His finished work on the cross through His death and His resurrection. And because we, the church, are the ones, the chosen ones, entrusted with the gospel, the very gospel message deposited in us to be a people who would shed light indeed for all nations to see because we the church are the ones entrusted with that gospel message it is urgent that we get this message out we see an urgent priority in Romans chapter 10 this morning we have been given an extremely urgent message and mission that requires that we give everything we give our all. We give our attention. We give our affection. We give our resources of time, 
of energy, finances, to get this gospel out. We're going to consider this morning the urgency of our mission, the urgency specifically of gospel proclamation. Turn with me if you haven't already to Romans chapter 10. We're going to be in verses 14 through 17 this morning. Uh, The best way to stay engaged in the sermon is to open up a copy of God's Word. So if you don't have one with you, take that pew Bible right in front of you. And if you open up to page 946, page 946, you'll see Romans 10, verses 14 through 17. And if you've come this morning and you don't own a Bible, use that Bible this morning and then take that Bible home with you. That's our gift to you. We'd love for you to have that Bible to read it. And if you want to read it with someone here at the church, talk to one of our members around you or come see one of our pastors at the door afterwards. We'd love to connect you to someone who could read the Bible with you. Let me read for us Romans chapter 10, verses 14 through 17. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. A little bit of context here as we dive into Romans 10. Most of what we do here is just go through entire books of the Bible. So we're diving right into a specific passage here in Romans. So this is still an exposition, a text-driven message, but I want to give you a little bit of context as we dive into this book in a sort of one-off sermon. The four questions you see there, it's the structure of the passage, four questions in verse 14 and 15. They're connected to the declaration that is made right before that in verse 13. So if you look at verse 13, it gives us some context. We see the word call there, which gets repeated in verse 14 and 15. For everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. So salvation is a matter of calling on the Lord. Now, if you're here this morning, you've not put your faith in Jesus, you need to know if anyone has told you that forgiveness is automatic, meaning that you should just expect that you'll die. And if there's a God, there's a heaven, you'll just be forgiven. That's not true. That's not what this word says. Salvation is a matter of calling on the Lord. If you cry out to God, if you will change your mind about sin, about your sin against God, and agree with Him in the Bible, that your sin against Him is rejecting His loving authority, that your sin against Him is deserving of His holy wrath and judgment for disobeying His commands and turning away from Him, and if you'll trust in Jesus Christ, in His sacrificial death on the cross, in paying the penalty for the sins of anyone who would turn and trust in Him, if you would turn and trust in Jesus and His resurrection, that through His new life, He'll give you new life today. If you call on Him, if you call on Him, you will be saved. That's what the Apostle Paul is saying here in Romans chapter 10. An urgent message. You will hear nothing more important than that today. I can assure you. There's nothing more important you can go home and consider and meditate on than that truth, who God is and what He's done through Jesus Christ, and therefore what He demands of you. Salvation is a matter of calling on the Lord. The gospel of Jesus Christ proclaims salvation from God's wrath and His judgment that's available to anyone who will call 
on the name of the Lord. Well, how then does that message go forward? How does that message get applied to all types of people on, in all types of places? Well, that's what verses 14 and 15 deal, deal with. So that we, these series of four rhetorical questions, they lay out a chain of events that's necessary for someone to be saved. So follow the logic here that Paul lays out. People must believe. People must hear. The message must be preached. Messengers must be sent. That's the point of these rhetorical questions, to lay out those necessary chain of events. And through those chain of events, we come to understand our message, our mission, the privilege, and the joy, and the responsibility God has given us as a church. Well, as we make our way through these verses, let's consider the urgency of gospel proclamation. And the main idea that I want us to see this morning, if you're taking notes, the main idea, it's this. Our urgent mission requires urgent attention and action. Our urgent mission requires urgent attention and action. Well, following the logical flow of thought from these verses, our outline this morning, we're going to just trace four points of urgency. We'll track these four rhetorical questions, and we'll see four points of urgency. The first point of urgency we see in verse 14, the urgency of belief. It's the first point we see, verse 14, that first question, the urgency of belief. We see before people call on the Lord, they must believe. Again, that first question in verse 14, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And while the reference to, to they there, it's speaking to all people generally, later on in verse 16, Paul applies his writing toward the nation of Israel specifically. But his line of reasoning here is directed toward all people, how all people must be saved. People must believe in Jesus put their faith in Jesus if they are to be saved from God's judgment for sin. So it's not enough to merely be familiar with facts about Jesus. You must put your faith in Jesus. It's not enough to be familiar with Jesus. And that's something we have to understand here in the city of Charlotte. I am so thankful that I grew up with parents who loved Jesus and made me familiar with Jesus and the Bible. I am so thankful that my entire life God has provided churches that he has used to help me be familiar with God's word. But it's not enough to just be familiar. If you're here this morning and you're familiar with Jesus, maybe you grew up hearing about Jesus, or maybe you're one of our children or teens here this morning and you're familiar with Jesus, it's not enough to remain there. You must put your faith in Jesus. You must personally do that. No one can do that for you. Mom and dad can't do that for you. Your roommate can't do that for you. Your coworker can't do that for you. You must put your faith in Jesus. Now, if you look back a few verses to verse 9, Paul wrote there about the necessity of saving belief in Jesus. Romans 10, 9, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Confessing Jesus as Lord and trusting in his death and in his resurrection will apply God's saving work in Christ to your life. This saving belief, it begins in your heart and it involves personal trust 
for salvation. So this belief in Romans 10, it's, it's not referencing merely believing things about Jesus. It's talking about believing in Jesus, putting your trust in Jesus, resting everything on Christ and His finished work on the cross. So if you haven't put your faith in Jesus, I want you to hear the urgency today. It's something you need to do today. We don't preach God's Word so you can just hear it and think, that was interesting, that was inspiring, and then go away and just forget about it. I understand some people will need more time to investigate that, and we are happy to help you think more and know more about God and who He is in Jesus. But some of you have heard, and you really don't need to hear anymore. What you need to do is turn and trust in Jesus today. In a room this size, I'd be foolish to think there's not someone here, at least one person who needs to do this. There's an urgency, and I would encourage you, talk with someone who brought you. If that's mom and dad, talk with them. If that's another church member, talk with them. If you want to talk with me, I'll be right down here afterwards. I would love to talk with you more about what it would look like to get right with God today. There's an urgency to trust in Jesus. Well, church family, let us also remember, we must call people to believe. It is good for us to have kind conversations. It's good for us to share our personal testimony with others about God's saving grace in our life. Now, that's something different from evangelism. That hopefully will lead to evangelism, but that's not enough just to tell people what God did in my life. It's not enough just even to talk about Jesus. That's not evangelism. In fact, we haven't evangelized if we haven't called people, invited people, directed people to repent and believe in Jesus. Let us remember that. There's urgency for us to do that. Surely there's someone around us that we could invite to trust in Jesus. And there's a number of ways to do this. One way practically that I do this is just to ask them, hey, what would keep you from trusting in Jesus today? Listen to what they say. Sometimes it might be they, they want to know more. They're struggling intellectually. Oftentimes it might be a struggle with the will. They're not really ready and willing to surrender to Jesus. And that creates a good follow-up conversation. Why is that? Why is it that you're not ready to follow Jesus? Church family, let's remember we must call people to believe in Jesus. There's an urgency to this call. Well, verse 14 continues on with a second question. And how are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard? So here's the second point of urgency, part two of our outline, the urgency of hearing. The urgency of hearing. The message of the gospel is good news that needs to be heard. So the logic flows here. If a person is going to call on the Lord to be saved, they must believe in Jesus. But belief will not happen apart from first hearing the message of the gospel. Salvation comes to those who hear the gospel and respond by repenting and believing in Jesus. I've heard it said that Christianity is a religion of the ear. It's a religion of the ear. If people are going to be saved, there is a message that needs to be heard. There's truth about Jesus they need to hear. We see in verse 14 the means that God has appointed for the heart to believe is through the ear. The hearing of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In other words, the heart believes through the ears hearing. Friends, not only does this make it simple for us in evangelism, that, that our task, we cannot change people's hearts. We can't. I believe that is a work 
a regenerative work of the Holy Spirit. But we can proclaim the message, and we should learn how to do it, and we can get practice in doing that. We've got an equipping hour coming up, Lord willing, after Labor Day that Jonathan Morgan is teaching. It is 13 weeks long. I will make a guarantee to you. I guarantee you, if you go through that class, you will leave that class being able to have the skill of a clear and brief gospel presentation. You'll grow in your theology of evangelism and understanding God's uh, call and His Word, but you'll also grow in your practice. Give time to it. It takes time. Give yourself an hour before the service, and I guarantee you, if you complete that class, you will attain that skill to be able to go out and try to grow in it, to practice it. The heart believes through the ears hearing. It makes it simple for us, but also gives us confidence. It's the Word of God. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ that changes people. Duty belongs to us, and results, they belong to God. God will change people as the gospel is proclaimed. That means there's an urgency to hearing the gospel. People cannot believe and be saved if they have never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. Down in verse 16, we see that that merely hearing the gospel is not enough. We see here in verse 16 that that the flow of thought, this section interrupts a little bit, Paul goes on a tangent, to address the rejection of Christ from his ethnic people, the majority of the nation of Israel rejected Jesus as Messiah, did not heed his message. Though he was the long-awaited for Messiah, the one that they were waiting for and longing for when Jesus came, the majority of the nation rejected him. And Paul, he mourned that. That that troubled him. It bothered him. In verse 16, here's what he says, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? Now, earlier in the chapter in Romans 10, Paul wrote about the nation of Israel, of their spiritual condition of the majority due to not trusting in Jesus as the Messiah. So the unbelief of Israel is what he spends most of chapter 9 and chapter 10 addressing. I love this. Uh, His angle in chapter 9 is to look at it from the angle of God's sovereignty, God's sovereignty in salvation. In chapter 10, he looks at the same issue from a different perspective of human responsibility. Again, we see God's sovereignty and human responsibility sitting side by side in the Scripture. Now, as you maybe have heard said before, not in tension with one another that need to be reconciled, or rather friends sitting side by side. So chapter 10, he's looking at human responsibility. There's a responsibility when you hear to obey and to believe. And when he thinks about the majority of Israel rejecting Jesus as the Messiah, What he's speaking to is that rather than receiving a righteousness that comes from God alone, through faith in Jesus Christ, they sought their own righteousness apart from God, based on their own good works, works of the law that couldn't possibly save them, rejecting the very one that the law pointed to and prepared the way for, Jesus. And there in verse 16, Paul explains that Israel heard the gospel but did not respond in faith and obedience to Jesus. Therefore, the problem is not the preaching. The problem is not the message. The problem was them and hard hearts. The responsibility for their separation from God, Paul is saying, is on them. God sent preachers. The message was proclaimed. Israel heard the word of Christ, but they did not believe in Jesus. The message of the gospel, it demands a response of faith and obedience to Jesus. You know, I I don't love using 
statistics. I don't use them often, but I, I think I should use it this morning. You're not going to hear a lot of that from me, but I, I checked the world population counter this morning. You can Google that. Like, what's the world population estimated at? When I checked this morning, it was around 7.965 billion people in the world. Now, I've read recently that missiologists estimate that 3.23 billion of these people, around 41% of the world population, lives in areas that are presently considered unreached by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Unreached. I, in fact, I was at the Museum of the Bible last week in Washington, D.C. with our family the week before last, and I took my son in one of these rooms where they give you a visual of Bible translations available in languages. And there was one small section coded orange, and that's where an Old Testament and New Testament copy are both available in that particular language. The rest of the room had different colors, and one of the most common colors, sadly, was blue. What that means is, is no scripture available presently in the native language of these people groups. It was a visual presentation that showed us the work that needs to be done. And I asked my kids, I'm like, man, we, we have so many, so much access to the Bible. You know, we, we can go on about the translation we prefer, but if my Greek and Hebrew classes in seminary taught me anything, is that all of them are good, really? I mean, all of our English translations, for the most part, are good. We just have a wealth of resources that God's given us. And I asked my son, imagine waking up in a country where you didn't have a Bible to open up. You didn't have a copy of, of the Bible in your language. You could read it and understand it. Because there's a need for God's Word to get out. There's an urgency for this work to happen. I've heard this quote attributed to R.C. Sproul. The sad reality is that more people will die today having never heard the gospel than in any other day since Adam and Eve were created. And tomorrow will likely break that record. Brothers and sisters, we should hear statements like this and be stirred up with a zeal for God's glory, to do all that we can to get the gospel. And you say, well, Dave, I have no idea about these places that don't have copies of the Bible. Well, think about your own neighborhood. We live in the Bible Belt. I have to tell people all the time, when I go back up to D.C. and they think, oh, you're in the Bible Belt, man, ministry just must be easy there. I say, you know what, when I think about my neighborhood, I really can count on one hand the number of people in my entire neighborhood that I know have a relationship with Jesus. How many people this morning, when you were driving to church, were getting into their car to come to a gospel preaching church? How many did you see in your neighborhood? How many people do you know in the Bible Belt, in your neighborhood, that trust in Jesus? How many coworkers? How many classmates? When we have the college students over, I often ask them in front of my kids, so they kind of know what might be ahead for them. I ask these college students, hey, how many, how many people on your dorm floor are walking with Jesus? You know what they usually tell me? I think about it, they say, maybe two or three, four out of 50. Because there's an urgency to get the gospel out. Romans 10 shows us this urgency that people need to hear the gospel. It is good news that needs to be heard. And if people are going to believe in Jesus and be forgiven, they need to hear the gospel. That takes us to the third question, still in verse 14, that addresses what must happen if people are to hear. Look at the last part of verse 14, and how are they to hear without someone preaching? The third point of urgency, the urgency of preaching. Third part of our outline, the urgency of preaching. 
in order for the gospel to be received and believed, it must first be preached. Now, when you hear the word preach, don't think, well, Dave, that's what you're doing right now. It is what I'm doing right now. Certainly what I'm doing is preaching. But the more general sense of this word is just proclaim. So it's an activity given to, to all Christians. In a more general sense, preach means to announce, to declare. In this sense, every Christian is to preach or announce or proclaim the gospel. It is the joy. It is the privilege. It's the honor. It is the responsibility of every Christian, of every single member of a local church to share the gospel, to preach and proclaim to those around us. Now, the reference to to preachers being sent out, it has, again, a a herald in view. A preacher is a herald or someone who is given a message to proclaim. You might remember the old news scenes, old-timey days of the the newsboy on the corner who would shout out, extra, extra, read all about it. I'm not that old. I don't remember that. But that's kind of what the newsboy did. He was the the herald. Well, a preacher is a a herald. I love this picture because there's no such thing as a self-appointed herald. A herald doesn't come up with their own message. They're given a message to announce and proclaim. And the word gospel, it wasn't just distinct to Christianity. We're talking about the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. The word gospel was often even used of announcement made when a new emperor was announced. They would take the gospel to the cities and the towns and the villages to proclaim there is a new emperor. Whenever there was a a battle, and the men of a village would go out to fight a battle, when that battle was over, if they had won, they would send back a herald to the towns and the villages saying, take the gospel back to the towns and villages. A a victory's happened. The battle's over. The battle has been won. Send out the gospel. So when we talk about the gospel of Jesus Christ, it necessarily involves us proclaiming that good news. We didn't come up with this. It's an ancient message handed down to us from Jesus himself. He rose from the dead and proclaimed the gospel. The apostles sent out to preach and to proclaim the gospel. Churches commissioned as heralds to take this gospel to the ends of the earth. As Christians, we are heralds. And the authority of the message comes from Jesus himself as he sends out his church on earth to be his witness. In Matthew 28, verse 19, commanding us, go therefore and make disciples of all nations to proclaim to the ends of the earth. So follow the logical progression here in verse 14. When it comes to salvation, preaching is necessary. Verse 14 shows us the necessary role of proclaiming in God's mission of redemption. It won't do simply to send people out to be nice to do good things. We should love our neighbor. We should be kind. But but that is not the mission we're called to do. Rather, those good works, they should point to the message. Those sent out must verbally proclaim the good news of Jesus. Well, think about how you became a Christian. We hear so many testimonies up here during baptism Sundays. Those are like my favorite Sundays. And each time you'll hear about someone who told someone else the gospel. Maybe that's a parent or brother or sister. Uh, for some, it was someone on their dorm floor in college. They first 
heard the gospel from. Even if you say like, well, I picked up the Bible and I read and that's how I was converted. Well, someone gave you that Bible. There was translation work that was done to make that Bible readily available to you. You heard because someone told you the good news about Jesus. And verse 14 shows us people need to hear. And we are therefore called to preach. That's central to our ministry as a church. Think about this proclamation. It starts on Sunday morning, and then it goes out from here every day of the week with every member of this church. All that we do here on Sundays, we want the gospel to be proclaimed. So we get together regularly every Monday, two o'clock, our pastoral staff, we review the entire day and service review. And one of the things we want to consider on the Sunday morning sermon was the gospel clearly preached. A good question evaluation. Could someone have gotten saved from what they just heard in that sermon? We, we try to ask that every week. We cannot preach a better gospel, but we can preach the gospel better. And that's our, that's our aim. Everything we do, the songs that we sang, children's ministry, student ministry, we want the gospel to be preached. In our food pantry ministry, we want the gospel to go out. We're not just trying to give people groceries that will meet a temporary need. We're happy to provide that. But the point of that is for people to hear the gospel of Jesus over and over again. It starts on Sunday morning, and it's meant to start a repetition in each of our lives that we would proclaim the truth about Jesus to those in our home, to those in our neighborhood, to those around us in our place of work. May we beget those who give ourselves regularly to share the good news of Jesus. Well, the final question we see in verse 15, it helps us see that if the message is to be preached, preachers must be sent. Look at verse 15. And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Verse 15, we see the fourth point of urgency, the urgency of sending. The urgency of sending. So if people are going to hear and believe the gospel, there must be messengers sent to preach the gospel. Again, logical flow, preachers will not, preaching, proclaiming will not occur unless churches send people out to preach. As we follow that, that logical flow of thought here, this last part of the sequence of events in verses 14 and 15, it's foundational for people to believe in Jesus. There is no other way the gospel goes forward other than sending preachers. Now, when you look back through the pages of the Bible, the gospel is preached and advanced only through human instruments. God could have designed it any way He wanted to. He doesn't need us to accomplish His purposes. He chooses to use us. And you see His choice throughout the pages of the Bible to get His Word out is through human instruments. So the process that God Himself has chosen and ordained necessarily involves human instruments doing the proclaiming. If you think back to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 10, and the story of Cornelius and his household, an awesome story here demonstrates that truth. An angel of God came to Cornelius in a vision. That really happened. That's history there in the book of Acts. But the angel didn't preach the gospel of Jesus to Cornelius. You know what the angel did? The angel told Cornelius, 
send men to another city to go get Peter, to bring Peter to preach the gospel to Cornelius and his household. And you might think, well, why didn't God just have the angel preach the gospel to him? I mean, it seems like it would have been faster, more expedient. It could have happened right then. Well, it's just not God's plan. Simply put, it's not what he wanted. It's not the means he has ordained. I think that passage is one example that demonstrates the truth to us that it is God's divinely designed plan that the gospel goes forward and is preached by human means, meaning there is no other way for people to hear the gospel. Therefore, it is urgent for people to be sent. Now, the reference to messengers being sent, I think the implication here that there is a a sender. While churches certainly are called to be senders, I think there's even a greater picture in view here. The greatest sender is Jesus himself. I think that's actually who's in view here. Jesus sends out his messengers to the ends of the earth to proclaim his message. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, Jesus said, I will build my church. And he does that by sending out preachers of the gospel. He's the one who sends out messengers from his bride, the the church. These messengers, I think, certainly include pastors and church planters and missionaries, but I think while we consider that Christ sends men to preach in pulpits, the Lord sends people overseas to take the gospel, I think what's in view here is every member of the local church. God sends every member of the local church, and we say so often here at Oak Ridge Baptist Church, if you join and you ask, what's my ministry, we can help you figure that out if you want to serve in children's ministry or student ministry or lots of other types of things, but what my ministry is, the way we want everyone to answer at least is three ways. Discipling, Christian hospitality, and many of you know the third one, personal evangelism. That's the ministry of every member of this church. You see, Christ sends members of local churches out to proclaim the gospel in their everyday lives. Christ is at work doing this sending, and therefore we work as a local church to send others out. Now, notice how Paul describes this calling, or the calling to send out preachers is a beautiful calling. That's what we see in verse 15 when he quotes from Isaiah chapter 52, verse 7, as it is written, so as the prophet Isaiah wrote, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Right? I'll just tell you, feet are not like the most beautiful part of you and I. Right? I'm close to banning open-toed shoes in our office in the morning and for the summer. Right? It's just really not often. You wouldn't think, oh, how beautiful those feet are. So what is Paul talking here? He's talking about how beautiful are the feet. I think he's talking about how beautiful are the messengers. The feet are the means that go out to preach the gospel. And it is a beautiful act that those feet get to running and going to take the gospel out. He cites Isaiah here to hammer home the point of the necessity and the beauty of sending out preachers of the gospel. He celebrates feet because of the beauty of what they bring. Brothers and sisters, our feet must be active in taking the gospel to people. And while we stress the urgency of the mission, I hope we all get that this morning from this passage, we should feel the urgency. Don't miss the beauty of this act. It is a beautiful act to represent the Lord Jesus Christ. 
It is a beautiful moment to proclaim the good news of Jesus to those around us. It is beautiful to hear stories of you sharing the gospel with those around you. Why is there never a dry eye in this room during our baptism ceremonies? It's so beautiful to hear about the gospel at work in people's lives. God's pursuit of sinners like you and me to save us by his grace through faith in Jesus. We need to get the urgency, but don't miss the beauty. Brothers and sisters, it's beautiful to send out preachers of the gospel. I know it's painful to send people out. We just sent out the McDonald's. They want to go plant churches in New England. It's hard. I know there's tears. We throw the going away parties, tons of them, right? Probably too many of them for one person going out. We throw them and we, we cry and we send them out. It's, it should be painful because we love them, but it is beautiful. It is beautiful to send people out to New England to preach the gospel. I prayed this morning. It's the prayer of our elders and, and I think our congregation that some of you would leave these pews and go serve the Lord Jesus on the mission field. That will be a beautiful day that I hope we see soon. Don't miss the urgency or the beauty of preaching the message of Jesus. The progression from verse 14 to 15 is summarized there in verse 17 at the end. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Paul's conclusion from these four questions, these four rhetorical questions is this. Faith does not exist without hearing the proclamation of the gospel of our crucified and risen Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Salvation comes from hearing, from hearing the content of the gospel about Jesus and believing. And the content of our message is the word of Christ, the good news of Jesus Christ, crucified, dead, buried, and risen from the dead, reigning this morning, extending new life and forgiveness of sin and free righteousness from God to anyone who would repent and believe in Jesus. Simply put, people will not be saved unless they hear the gospel and believe it. Oakhurst, we cannot overstate the importance of this conviction of verse 17. People are saved through the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We, we need to feel the importance of that truth, the weight of that truth, that the only way for faith to grow in people's hearts is to hear the gospel of Christ. This conviction, it will produce an urgency in evangelism. We want to see the good news get there. This conviction, it will shape everything we do in our local church. What we mean when we say ministry. Evangelism is not all that we do. We're called to make disciples, which certainly involves more than evangelism. But think about evangelism as the very tip of the spear of the mission of this local church. This conviction will lead our church to send out missionaries, to plant churches, to New England, other places in the country, and here in this local area. Faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of Christ. And therefore, there is an urgency in sending, an urgency in preaching, an urgency for the good news to be heard, and an urgency to believe in Jesus Christ that will call those to be saved, that will save all of those indeed who call upon him. Sending, preaching, hearing, believing. We have an urgent ministry and mission. Well, I want to close with a few thoughts of application. So what do we do now? All right, Dave, I hear you. Fired up, 
believe what I hear, what do we do? What do we do so that Monday comes and we don't just go back to the same old, same old? A couple of points. Number one, the local church should grow through evangelism. The local church should grow through evangelism. Yes, our city is growing. The city is exploding with growth. I am thankful that this ministry has been replanted to welcome people for Christians to come and join this church. Certainly, uh, we are thankful for what many call transfer growth. That's wonderful. I'm, I'm glad that many of you moved here and that this has been a place where you can grow and serve. Some of you have come here from other churches in Charlotte. Uh, we think it's a wonderful opportunity for you to join in in growing together closer to Jesus and in proclaiming his message together. But consider also that our church should be growing through evangelism. It shouldn't just be transfer growth. And I wonder how many of the desires that you and I have for this local church might be realized through the practice of evangelism. You want to see a church that's multi-generational? Or are we just waiting for Christians from other churches to come and leave their church and come here? We're just waiting for Christians to move, leave their cities and come here and hope we grow multi-generational? Or are we trying to proclaim the gospel to all kinds of people? We want a multi-ethnic church? Do we just hope that people leave churches in their native language? Or churches where they're the majority and come here? Or are we trying to get the gospel out to all kinds of people in this city? How often do the desires that you and I rightly have for this ministry might actually be realized through faithfulness and evangelism? The local church should grow through evangelism. Number two, urgency should not produce impatience. Urgency should not produce impatience. So we're not looking for a flash in the pan ministry where it's like, all right, let's go do this fall 2022. Let's come up with this and this and this program, and let's go make this happen. I think urgency should produce long-term faithfulness, meaning very rarely does someone hear the gospel and respond immediately. I have a friend who came down here from UNC Charlotte uh, 15 years ago. He heard the gospel for the first time, put his faith in Jesus Christ that night. I love it, but I haven't seen a ton of testimonies like that. Many of you know your own testimony or family members or friends. Faithfulness requires repetition. Keep praying. Keep acting. There needs to be an urgency for repetition. Don't mistake urgency and produce impatience. If you want to see a multi-generational church, a multi-ethnic church, those things don't happen overnight. They happen through people praying and working and acting and being intentional and continuing to do that and not growing weary of doing good in those areas. In fact, patience begins with the affirmation that God is sovereign. He is in control, working in the lives of people. And because he's at work as his people, we want to continue in this work. Number three, a sense of urgency should be present in the way that our church prays. A sense of urgency should be present in the way that our church prays. Like my man H.P. Charles says, it happens after prayer. We got that book downstairs, a good book to read on prayer, one of my favorite books on prayer. If we want to see people come to Christ, it happens after prayer. You want to see nations reach with the gospel? It happens after prayer. We try to pray requests every Sunday morning in the pastoral prayer. We pray for opportunities for each of us. In fact, when there are times in my life that I'm not active in sharing the gospel, you know what usually the common denominator is? I'm not praying for opportunities. I'm not praying for people. Those things tend to go together. We will find opportunities as we pray for them. We will find opportunities with specific people as we pray for them by name. Who are you praying for? In fact, if God answered your prayers from this past week, who would have become a Christian? Who would have heard the gospel? 
Let's commit ourselves to praying more. We pray for every nation on earth here twice in our pastoral prayers. We're on round three now. We want to continue to pray for nations to hear the gospel. Everything we do, we want it to be driven by prayer. And then twice a month, we come back on Sunday evenings to pray. That's tonight. And if you haven't come regularly, I want to invite you to come. Uh, I mean this, and I tell pastors this when I go away to other places like I was this past week at the seminary. Our church would not be the same church without our prayer ministry. It just wouldn't be. There are people we have prayed for on those Sunday evenings that God has graciously brought to faith in Christ, things He's done in us and through us. God is at work. The question is, will we be? Let's give ourselves to working in prayer. Our church body coming together regularly for prayer, it highlights the urgent nature of the ministry of the local church. Well, brothers and sisters, in closing, as we give ourselves to this urgent and beautiful task, let us remember where our confidence comes from. Our confidence is found in Jesus. The Great Commission, it works. It's working right now. This church is evidence and proof of that. Every local church meeting this morning on the Lord's Day is proof. The Great Commission, it works. And Matthew 16, verse 18, summarizes the confidence we have in our mission. Jesus has said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. He will build his church, and therefore, we can step into this urgent mission and give everything that we have. Let's pray and ask God for his help now. Father in heaven, we pray and ask that you would work in us, that we would hear your word and be changed by your word, that we wouldn't merely be hearers of your word, Lord, but also that we'd be doers of your word. And God, it's easy to get fired up about evangelism from one morning or even one moment. It is much more difficult to remain faithful in this over time. And so, Lord, we pray that you would help us by the power of your Holy Spirit and give us a greater desire and hunger for your glory, a greater desire and hunger for our our lost family members and friends to know you, for those around us who don't know Jesus at work, at school, in our neighborhoods, that we would have a greater sense of urgency and desire for them to know you. And Lord, we pray that you would work. We pray that you would bring fruit. We pray it would please you to work in us and through us. Lord, we pray that you would grow us as a church, even this fall, to be more faithful in evangelism and to so honor you and your holy name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.